What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that is helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. Here's how the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions dealing with anything and everything from discipleship to evangelization to relationship advice, catechesis, doctrine, morality, spirituality, prayer, and the list goes on and on and on. I will then sit with your questions and pray with them and study and hopefully respond in such a way that is good for you to become a saint. But my disclaimer is this, I'm not perfect. Therefore, the advice I share with you that I give to you might not be good for you. And if that's the case, please reject whatever it is that I say that is not good for you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. But if my advice is helpful but difficult, encouragement is to lean into God in prayer. More prayer, more prayer, more prayer, uh, more study, uh, more time of fellowship with other disciples so that God can over time give you the graces that you may need to fulfill the demands of discipleship. If you're a first-time listener, you can hit me up with your own questions at www.ascensionpress.com slash askfatherjosh, spell out A-S-K-F-A-T-H-E-R-J-O-S-H. You can rate us and review us on iTunes. You can hit me up with your own comments and critiques and further questions and feedback and glory stories. You can also uh, share us on your social media pages and other platforms and any other podcast formats that are out there. Please rate us and review us. That way other people can find out about the show. If this show is helpful for you, potentially it could become a gift for others as well. On today's show, we're going to talk about how often should we deny ourselves. Uh, we're also going to uh, examine whether or not we can refer to God as he and she or he, she or it or it or all the above. How do we refer to God? And we're also going to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is Catholic social teaching, which, by the way, plug, shout out, uh, we have a new program called Connected, uh, and it's all about Catholic social teaching. It's from Ascension Press. It is really, really good, and I would highly encourage you to get it for your high school teens, for your young adults, for this, anybody in this generation uh, who wants to unpack the church's best kept secret. Catholic social teaching is absolutely amazing, and so we really need to understand it. And, uh, and receive it and pray with it and share it with as many people as we can so that we can help other people to fall in love with Jesus, stay in love with Jesus, and abide in the love of Jesus Christ and their walk toward eternity. Now, before we get into those topics, I want to share with you a glory story. So my glorious story is this. By the time you're listening to this particular podcast, I'm going to be in the silence. I am so grateful for, I love, I love silent retreats. I really do. And I'm going to be on a silent retreat in Miami, Florida, uh, and with Mother Adela Galindo and the servants of the pierced hearts of Jesus and Mary. And I just love to get away with God. He's my best friend. He is my best friend. I keep him around me all the time. Yeah. God is my best friend. That ain't no lie, yeah, yeah. Now he say he's just my friend, but he's really like my kin. Well, you know he abides in 
Holy communion, because he is my best friend. Hey, I keep him around me all the time. I really do keep him around me all the time. I got a tabernacle in my rectory, so I have the presence of the Blessed Sacrament with me at all times, and it is amazing. And he abides in communion with me through my baptism, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So cool. So I'm going to be on an eight-day silent retreat. So if you listen to this podcast while I'm on that retreat, by the time this one airs, my retreat should actually be ending. So you can... Uh, still pray for me retroactively that I receive the graces God wants. But I just love retreats. I've been on so many solemn retreats over the years. I, I do a retreat every year. Uh, I've done a solemn retreat with Father Mark Toops before with uh, Father Jim Rafferty, Mother Della in the past, and a number of other ones. But each time it's a different grace that the Lord gives me, but it always is a grace that helps me to mm, just abide with, with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, to abide with the Blessed Sacrament, to abide with sacred scriptures, and to have a deeper desire to abide with God and his people, particularly the poor, uh, the poor and the um, those who are disenfranchised and those who are marginalized, like Jesus did. That's who he always prioritized. Uh, he, he served everybody, but he prioritized the poor, the sick, the suffering, the marginalized, disenfranchised, those people who were the outcast in society. And so I just, ooh, yeah, solemn retreats, that's where it's at. So if you've never done one, you can do one actually at the parish I was at before I entered into this new season of my ministry as full-time vocation director uh, at Holy Rosary. Wendy Enlow offers solemn retreats. We have a beautiful retreat center at Holy Rosary. So you can go over there and do that uh, and that'd be cool. But yeah, so that's my glory story is silent retreat. Mm, I can't wait for it. And I can't wait to share the graces from my time with Jesus, with the Lord, the love of my life. And uh, we also got some feedback in from D. D says, Father Josh, thanks so much for answering my question regarding the stigmata. Your answer was very helpful. I'm a cradle Catholic who recently returned to Holy Mass after being away for a very long time. Praise God. I'm ashamed to say I took my church for granted until it was taken away from me during the lockdowns. Haven't so many people done that? I remember whenever we first had lockdowns, all these people were saying, oh, Father, I would never miss Mass again. The second we could come back to Mass, I would never miss a day of Mass. And then we were able to come back to Mass in Louisiana a lot earlier than most people around the world. And a lot of people were like, well, I'm going hunting this weekend or I'm going fishing. So I'm going to come back later. I'm like, see, mm. but anyways, praise God, you're back. I'm ashamed to say it took my church for granted until it was taken away from me like those. Okay. I suddenly had a strong desire to go back and receive Jesus in the Eucharist again. That's because he wanted you to receive him. He loves you so much, D. As soon as my local church opened up again, I sprinted to confession. These are my confessions. Praise God. You got to be in a state of grace to receive the Eucharist. St. Paul says if we receive the Eucharist unworthily, we can get sick and we can die. Physically sick and physically die. It was scared to being gone for so long, but I did not want anything to separate me from God again. Now that I'm back at church, I'm devouring everything I can to learn about our history, our faith, our beliefs. And I'm so grateful for your podcast and other Catholic radio and publications that are instrumental in guiding the faithful. I recently purchased you and Father Mike's pocket guide to reconciliation, and it's awesome. Thank you so much. I'm no longer scared to go to confession. Now that I got all my mortal sins forgiven, smiling, and actually look forward to this amazing sacrament. Thanks again. Yeah, D, I love confession. I go to confession once a week. I, I just absolutely love it because it helps me to abide with the Lord. So speaking of abiding with the Lord, our first question is about denying ourselves. So once we hit the music, we're going to jump into our first question about denying ourselves for the sake of abiding, abiding together with God. <music>
All right, so first question comes in from Anonymous. Anonymous writes this, denying yourself. Hello, and thank you so much for the podcast. I have several questions that have really been troubling me for some time. I know that God loves us, but are we allowed to love or even just not hate ourselves? It seems to me sometimes that in Catholic spirituality, one is supposed to hate themselves. In the Bible, Jesus says those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Does this mean that we should not enjoy life or anything worldly at all? I also know that I am supposed to deny myself and reject the life of earthly comfort and recognize that I am a wretched sinner. For this reason, I feel extremely guilty when I find myself enjoying something like a cookie or a warm shower or when I feel proud of myself or our content. Are we called to live lives of asceticism all the time? Or is it okay to enjoy the things of this world like TV, movies, music, food, comfort, and etc.? Reading about the lives of the saints also makes me very anxious. As many of them inflicted harsh penances upon themselves, such as extreme fasting, self-mutilation, etc., does Jesus want us to hate ourselves and harm ourselves? As a Catholic, I know that we're called to a life of prayer and fasting. Should we always be in a state of self-denial, though? Like, Does God expect us to deny ourselves of every good, pleasurable, and comfortable thing? Why is it good to seek out suffering and take away things that are not inherently evil that make us happy? Uh, thank you, Anonymous. That is a great set of questions, and I can't wait to dive into all of them. So, First things first, God wants you to love yourself. God loves you. God delights in you. And and because Jesus sees you, knows you, and loves you through and through, and because Jesus delights in you, he wants you to not only receive that delight, but he wants you to delight in other people. And not only delight in other people, but to delight in yourself as well. A really good scripture that might be helpful for you to pray with daily is the prodigal son, Luke 15. When the prodigal son came back to the father, the father just wanted to celebrate his son. He just wanted to delight in his beloved. God the Father loves you and delights in you. He sees you and he delights in you. So as a member of the body of Christ, you're invited to abide in the mind of Christ, to imitate Jesus, and to also delight in yourself, to love yourself. So what does it mean to hate? What it means to hate is to like love less than. So we love God above all. God's number one. We don't want to ever place ourself or our comfort or our time, or our pleasure, or whatever it is over and above God. We must always give God his proper place. We give God worship first and foremost. Like That's what he cares so much about. So as long as you're giving God time in prayer, as long as you're worshiping God above all else, you're not worshiping yourself, you're not saying, hey, I'm not going to go to Mass today because I just don't feel like it. Like if you're sick, don't go to Mass. If you don't feel well, don't go to Mass. But if you're like just saying, I want to watch TV, or I want to go fishing, or I want to go hunting, or I want to do whatever, that's why I'm not going to go to mass. That ain't good. So to like hate our life in this world means to love our life less than we love God, right? So we love God first and foremost. And then after that, like there's a hierarchy here, right? Um, and the same thing goes for all creation. Like there's a hierarchy. It's God and then it, you know, it's family. And then after family, then it's um, friends in the world or whatever. So it's like, like there's a, and then, it, then it's animals. Like people are above animals. I know some people really like animals. Animals come after people. So there's a hierarchy in all of this. And so it just means like we don't want our our lives, which are gifts, to become our God. See, in our humanity, we're so broken. We're so broken, all of us, including myself. That's why I go to confession once a week. We're so broken that quite often we take the gifts that God gives us and we make them into gods. Gifts are meant to be icons that point us to God, but we in turn make them into idols and they become our God. So to, to hate means to love less. I'm going to love everything and everyone less than I love God. God's first and foremost. And for my love of God, I can then love everyone and everything else in his proper place. As far as denying yourself and rejecting comforts and all that jazz, um, the, the church historically has days of penance. So like Wednesday and Friday, even in the early church, 
where like the days set aside for penance. In the Bible, Jesus says, when you pray, when you fast, when you give alms. So obviously prayer is something we do every day to abide with God every single day. Even if it's just like five minutes or 10 minutes of like one-on-one time, that way you can pray all day long after your one-on-one time with God. But like maybe just take two days out of the week to deny yourself something. But when you deny yourself, when you fast, when you take on a penance, the point of the fast, the point of the penance is to help you to pray more, to long for God more. So a penance that some saints did, it worked for them, but it's not going to work for you. And it worked for them because it helped them to feel the pain of that penance so that they ran to God to, to fill them up with his grace, with his love, with his joy, with his kindness, with his mercy, with his scripture, with his word, with his sacraments. But what one person gives up might not work for another person. So like, for instance, one of my friends gives up chocolate a lot. I don't care about chocolate. I mean, I can eat a Snickers. I can eat a Reese's Pieces peanut butter cup. But at the end of the day, if you tell me I can't have chocolate, I won't even notice it. But this friend of mine loves chocolate. So whenever she gives up chocolate, she recognizes it. It calls her to prayer. So what one saint does works for them, might not work for you. So it's important to never compare yourself to any other member of the body of Christ, right? To like keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus because he's going to call you to a unique relationship. So when we take on like fasting on Friday or penances on Wednesday and Friday, it's the, it's so for the sake of What's going to work for me to feel drawn to Jesus? And we don't have to do extreme things. We don't have to mutilate ourselves. We don't have to beat ourselves. We don't have to whip ourselves um, because our bodies need to be reverenced too. So this helps me move to the next phase. Some saints did do that. Some saints did, even including St. John Paul II. He wore a hair shirt. St. Francis of Assisi jumped in bushes. But at the same time, like God has to call you to that. You never go to that extreme way of penance unless you have a spiritual director, number one, and unless you've lived a life of of small acts of prayer, fasting, penances, and almgivings along the way. And you're like, you don't do those extreme things until you're like, like way, 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 way. Like I, I don't do that. I, and again, don't compare yourself to me, but like, I don't wear no hair shirt. Um, cause God didn't call me to that. Cause God knows I'm not ready for that now. And I might not ever be, that might not be good for me to be a saint. So a lot of saints also who did those extreme penances repented at the end of their lives because of the way they treated their bodies. So St. Francis of Assisi, he did do extreme penances and um, acts of self-denial that were like kind of crazy. And at the end of his life, he repented and said, I'm so sorry to my body for the way I treated my body because this body belongs to God and I was not reverent to my body. And he even asked for, get this, chocolate, chocolate. He was like, I want some chocolate. I want to have pleasure before I die. So even as he lay dying, he asked for comfort food. Uh, so it's important for us to to reverence the saints, but to recognize that the saints quite often were wrong. Again, like St. John Paul II, he's my father, my spiritual father. I really believe he's my father. He and I have a very close connection. I love him so much. But that does not mean that I agree with everything St. John Paul the Great did or said. There are many things when I look at his life, I'm like, nope, I think he was he was wrong for that. And I disagree with him. But it does not mean I don't love him or I don't look up to him or admire him um, or am not grateful for his witness. But I still think some things he did was kind of off and, and foul. And that's cool. Finally, speaking about the saints, so keep in mind, saints aren't infallible, right? Jesus is infallible. The saints aren't. Ignatius of Loyola, Alphonsus Liguri, Teresa Lisieux, they also all suffered with scrupulosity. And so uh, because of their scrupulosity, they, man, they experienced like profound guilt and restlessness and they doubted whether or not like almost everything they did was a sin, right? So that's like, that's not that's not good. And so even when they're not in sin, they're like, is this not enough? Like, is God is angry monger? So sometimes we have this like false view of God. Like God's out to get me. God is a father. God loves you. God 
God delights in you. Um, he is not out to get us. But whenever many saints, Canaanite saints, had OCD and they struggled with scrupulosity, and scrupulosity is a form of OCD. And so if you think that this might be something that you might be struggling with, again, I want you to hear me out. So many saints had mental illnesses. To have a mental illness does not mean you are disqualified from being a saint in the kingdom of God. What it does mean, though, is that it would be important for you to lean into a relationship with members of the body of Christ, men and women made in the image of God, who have gifts of counseling, of therapy, who can give us proper medication, as well, in addition to good, healthy, and holy confessors and spiritual directors who can also accompany us in addition with our counselors, therapists, psychologists, etc. So we need all the above. Uh, can we have fun? Yes, please have fun. St. John Paul II, again, one thing I do appreciate that he did all the time was, man, he, dude had fun. Yes, he did pray, and yes, he did fast and give alms, which we're all called to do. Yes, he did wear a hair shirt, which he was called by God to do, and he did sleep on the floor and some other stuff like that, which he was called by God to do, and you might be, but you might not be. But he also, like, he went fishing, and he went hiking, he went water skiing, he went snow skiing, he went kayaking, he went camping. Uh, he was a joy to be around. He even, he said, Life with Christ is a wonderful adventure, and so go have fun. St. John Bosco said if he knew he was going to die the next day, then he would spend his last day having fun uh, and partying and, and, and fellowshipping with his friends because he knows that the Father delights to see him delight in all of creation. So go have fun. Like Do pray and do fast and do give alms. Do, do some form of penances that are helpful for you to you know, be free from your vices, find freedom from those vices, you know, if that's the grace that God's going to give you in this life, but at least like fight against them, but also to what penances will help you to abide with God in deeper intimacy in the interior life and in prayer. So that's, that's the goal. Uh, let me know if that was at all helpful for you, Anonymous. Speaking of God, uh, delighting us, uh, next question also comes in from another anonymous uh, listener who says, why is God referred to as he? All right, so this is a great question. Hey, Father Josh, I was introduced to your podcast a few months ago, and I love everything that you do. Your spontaneous singing makes me laugh out loud, and your straightforward, digestible answers to Catholic questions have helped me to grow very much in my faith. I apologize. Nope, Anonymous. It's too late to apologize. Hey, it's too late. Is it too late now to say sorry? I'm joking. So, and this question has been asked before since I've only heard a few episodes, but it's something I've been that has been a stumbling block for me in the past. I was wondering what the church's teaching is on God, always having a male pronoun and being described, depicted, and often as an old white man. I know it's very complicated and tied up with the human understanding of divinity, biblical phrasing, and so much more, but maybe you can clarify a bit on how God is always described as a man. I was also wondering if and how Catholics should respond when people jokingly or not call God woman or change his supposed gender in some way. Thanks so much. Love the work you're doing. Anonymous. So first thing first, God's not white. <laughs> that's a movie, God's not dead. God's not white. Uh, that's, that's artists depict him that way. It's quite often people depict God the way that they have seen themselves. And so a lot of our art comes from Europe. And so those depictions of God the Father as an old white man uh, is just a person's interpretation. Uh, Jesus Christ historically was not a white man. Uh, in his glorified body, he does appear white, black, Asian, Latino, indigenous, and all of the above. Depending on where he and or the Blessed Mother appears, they take on the appearance of the people they're appearing to. So in the glorified body, God, Jesus could be white, um, uh, like Mary can be white and black and brown and everything else. So that's kind of why you might see God depicted as a white man. But as far as him being an old white man, that's just a depiction that artists do to help people in their community experience like what God the Father might be like. 
but that is not what it looks like because God the Father does not have a gender. God the Holy Spirit does not have a gender. God is not male. God is not female. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is the second person in the most holy trinity, who is God himself, does have a gender because of the incarnation. Whenever Mary said yes to the Holy Spirit's invitation to the archangel Gabriel, she gave Jesus a body. And in his body, the incarnation, he does have um, male genitalia, right? He is a man. Biblically, God has chosen to reveal himself to us as Father. He's a good, good Father. That's who he is. <clears throat> It's to our Father, can you hear me? Something, something, something. Therefore, we cannot replace God's divinely revealed identity as Father and Son because he gave it to us. The church receives the gift. We don't make it up. We receive theology. We don't make it up. Sacred scripture always refers to God as he. The Bible does not refer to God as, as she. When Jesus even refers to the Holy Spirit in the Bible, he refers to the Holy Spirit as he. In the Gospel of John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus himself says, but... The counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's John 14, 26. Notice he says, he will teach you all things. Now, with that being said, hold up now. Don't get offended. At the same time, we can embrace a theology that acknowledges God's maternity and femininity. In acknowledging God's maternity and femininity and embracing this does not negate his paternity and masculinity. Right. Both sacred scripture, the catechism of the Catholic Church and the writings of the saints affirm God's feminine attributes through maternal metaphors. The catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 239 says this by calling God father. The language of faith indicates two main things that God is the first origin of everything and transcendent authority. So like, what does this mean? Basically, what this means is that he is the first cause that he himself is not caused. This means that he is eternal. This means that he cannot be acted upon. Catechism continues and that he is at the same time goodness and loving care for all of his children. God's parental tenderness can also be expressed by the image of, get this, motherhood. The prophet Isaiah chapter 66 verse 13 says this, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. In Jerusalem, you shall find your comfort. And Psalm 131 Verse two says, rather, I have stood my soul like a weaned child to its mother. Weaned is my soul. This emphasizes God's eminence, the intimacy between the creator and the creature. The language of faith, thus, according to the catechism, draws on the human experience of parents. That's again, catechism, of the Catholic Church, paragraph 239. But also the saints, they use metaphors, maternal metaphors to describe God's love for us. St. John the Cross in the dark night of the soul. He is a doctor of the church. He refers to the motherly care that God has for Christians by using maternal metaphors. This is what he writes in book one, chapter one, paragraph two. The grace of God, like a loving mother, like a loving mother, as soon as the soul is regenerated in the new fire and fervor of a service, God giving it the breast, breast of his own tender love as to a tender babe. Julian of Norwich, she's a great mystic of the church. Pope Benedict uh, writes about her. She's from the 15th century. A lot of people love her. She says, Jesus Christ, therefore, who himself overcame evil with good is our true mother. We, we received our being from him. And this is where his maternity starts. And with it comes the gentle protection and guard of love, which will never cease to surround us. Just as God is our father, so God is also our mother. Finally, uh, St. John Paul the Great, he wrote an apostolic exhortation to women, mulieres dignitatum, and in that 
apostolic exhortation that St. John Paul the Great wrote. And this is one thing that he wrote that, again, I'm like, I'm all behind, you know, him in this in this sense. He's my father. Again, I love John Paul. He inspires me so much. I love him so much. Again, but you can love somebody and not agree with everything that they said and did in their, in their life. He said this in that apostolic exhortation, though. In many passages of scripture, God's love is presented as the masculine love of the bridegroom and of the father. We see this in, um, in Hosea 11, 1 through 4. But also sometimes as the feminine love of a mother. So, the Bible, the the saints, the the church, right, acknowledge that there are feminine uh, attributes and there are uh, maternal metaphors that we can use to describe God's love for us in our walk toward eternity. God does have masculine and feminine attributes. God does have paternal and maternal characteristics. But with that being said, we call God He because we imitate Jesus. Remember, I always say it's not what would Jesus do; it's what is Jesus doing. We are the body of Jesus Christ. We abide in relationship with Jesus Christ, and so Jesus Christ Himself referred to God as Father. He referred to Holy Spirit as He. Jesus Christ Himself, by virtue of the incarnation, was male. So Jesus Christ does it. So that's what we do. We imitate Jesus, and because we are disciples of Jesus Christ, we will also refer to God as He in our writings, in our liturgy, etc. Et cetera, et cetera. So that's why we do what we do. Hopefully that was helpful. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. That was a lot to digest. Uh, and we're going to jump into one of my favorite topics, Catholic social teaching when we get back. Hi, I'm Sonia Corbett, the Bible study evangelista and a Baptist turned Catholic. As a Baptist, I thought that Catholic beliefs were invented that they came out of nowhere and had no connection whatsoever to the Bible. I also happened to believe that the Old Testament was about rules, rituals, and sacrifices that the New Testament gave us permission to ignore for a personal relationship with Jesus. It's a long story, but as God began connecting the Old and New Testaments for me, I was stunned by the beautiful consistency of God in the Catholic Church. I can't tell you how exciting it was when God opened my eyes to the incredible ways the Old Testament foreshadows God's plan for the New Testament and for His Catholic Church. In my book, Fulfilled, Uncovering the Biblical Roots of Catholicism, I explain these amazing connections, and I share how those connections helped change my life. If you read this book, I promise that you will come away with tools to help you share your Catholic faith easily, answer questions about how your Catholic faith fits with what's in the Bible, and most importantly, grow deeper in your relationship with Christ. If you're interested in learning more or ordering a copy of Fulfilled, Uncovering the Biblical Roots of Catholicism, you can do so at ascensionpress.com or on Amazon. All right. We are back. Last question comes in from Christine. Christine, love that name, about Catholic social teaching. Hey, Father Josh, I really enjoy your podcast. I've heard you say that you wish people who are really serious about following Catholic tradition were also serious about social justice concerns and vice versa. Yes, amen, I am. I am wondering if you have any practical guidance for how Catholics can engage in the social justice issues of the day with integrity to our faith. I feel a tension with knowing exactly how to proceed. I also recognize that I cannot personally take on every issue and may be called to focus on certain areas. Thank you so much for your advice. Yes. First of all, great insight. You ain't called to do everything, Christine. You're not called to do everything. Mother Teresa of Calcutta says that the devil, he tempts us to do all his good things. He's going to show us amazing things that we could do for the kingdom of God so that we could do every single one of them. And if we do every single one of them, we will do nothing well. A lot of people get messed up in their walk toward eternity because they're doing way too much. You're doing too much. You need to slow down, fall back, and ask the Holy Spirit in prayer. Remember the first mandate that Jesus Christ gave the apostles was to sit, watch, and pray. Uh, and so in prayer, we ask the Lord to give us insight. How are you calling me? Father, 
How are you calling me spirit of God? Jesus, how are you inviting me to participate in your work to build a civilization of, of love? But Catholic social teaching is a great gift of the church, right? It's one of those great gifts that the church has given to us. So St. Faustina, she has this beautiful uh, story of a time where Jesus Christ showed her that he was like hurting and his heart was on fire in the apparition and the vision and the locution. And he said, I'm, I'm hurting because I have gifts that I want my people to receive and they don't want to receive them. And so when we don't receive gifts from God, it hurts his heart. Like we hurt Jesus. We pierce his heart every time we say, nah, God, I don't want that gift. Like I'll take this, this and that, but not that. Like he wants us to be open to whatever gift he wants to give to us. So he, he wants us to be open to receiving the gift of the church's teachings through Catholic social teachings, right? There's a companion for Catholic social teaching, which is absolutely amazing. Um, but there's also this really cool program that Ascension Press just put out. It's called Connected. Uh, Kyle MacGyver and his wife were the were the, the main people behind that resource. So I like would definitely encourage you to check out Connected. Uh, and it includes an, like a workbook with online course access, leader guides, etc. Uh, we have a digital option. So... If you want to do it remotely, you can do that too. And you can stay connected with us as well. There's online videos, there's quizzes, there's like all these really, really great things. So I would highly encourage you to like check out this new program from Ascension called Connected. It's really, really amazing. I'm not just saying that because I'm in it, but I really do think it's amazing. We have so much that's going on in our world today, so much anxiety. And so about like these different topics and like, what do we do? And this is a resource that like addresses God's creation, stewardship, the environment, the dignity of human life from conception to natural death. So we address abortion, we address murder, we address crime, poverty, we address capital punishment, we address solidarity, race, responsibilities, poverty, dignity of work, the family, marriage, the foundation. Uh, and so it really addresses Everything and anything that you could ever imagine. We have some really cool presenters, Chica, Mari Pablo, Taylor, Bob, Lesneski, Chris Stefanik, Paul, uh, Paul Kim, uh, Ricardo. So that there's really, really cool people that are involved in this program. And so I would highly encourage you to, to check it out because it's a gift that God has given to us. So as far as discernment, it's like it comes from prayer. Like, God, what are you calling me to do? How are you calling me to get invested in these works of justice? Everything is is connected. Like that's one thing we have to recognize. You know, uh, one of the reasons why, like, for instance, abortion is like one of those big issues that we talk about today. And people say, well, we didn't talk about abortion a lot like back in the day. Well, it wasn't the law of the land back in the day. Like in 1973, it became the law of the land. So when it became the law of the land, that's when the church began to speak out more against it because of the issue. Um, there were people in the church that spoke out against slavery, even though not everybody did. A lot of people in the church and the body of Christ in America were a bunch of Judases, and they didn't. They participated in slavery, and they upheld it. But there were some Catholics who were real disciples of God, of Jesus Christ, and they spoke out against it whenever that was going on. There were some disciples of Jesus Christ, some popes, some sisters, some priests, some lay Catholics who spoke out against the Holocaust when that was going on. And so like, whenever you look, the way I encourage you is to like, examine your geographical boundaries and say, what are the issues in my land? Like In my diocese, there's this really, uh, there's a, a place called St. James, Louisiana, Vash, Louisiana, there's this Formosa plant in my diocese uh, that they're trying to like put up. And basically it's like the pollution's terrible. They put it up in like poor neighborhoods, uh, predominantly black neighborhoods. And all these people like will get sick from the, 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 the plant. It's, it's, it's not even, I don't even think this plant is being used in the country it started in because it's, it's, it's done so much bad to the community, to the environment. And so it's like people, when I, I, it really frustrates me when I hear people take shots at like the environment and stuff like, oh, we don't need to care about the environment. I'm like, look, I'm not saying I'm, 
something like that they see whatever like guru but i will say that god created creation is good and we need to like reverence creation and we don't reverence creation human life dies like people die there are so many mothers who've had miscarriages because of the pollution in this particular place um so you know and then people say well but but look at all the good that comes from like those jobs that they provide for people well you know i'll tell you what if those jobs are so important then how much put those plants in like really fancy neighborhoods put them in country clubs and i bet people will say ah no we don't want them there why because they know that it's like cancer alley people get cancer people get sick people die and unborn babies die too who we ought to be reverencing who we ought to care about here uh so Say, like look in your land and see like what's going on in my land as an issue for me to potentially use my voice to get plugged into, to learn more about so that I can pray against, so I can fast for, offer reparation, but also collaborate with people to change laws that permit some of these injustices to take place in my land. If there's an abortion clinic in your geographical boundaries, then use your resources and your tools to try to shut that abortion clinic down and to provide for women, mothers and babies, like resources that will help them to see that there are other options out there that are available, right? Try to maybe pay for women's life centers to be put up in your communities next to those abortion clinics in those those neighborhoods uh, provide housing and jobs and health care for people who are struggling financially look at the school systems like are there any injustices which there are many in this country when it comes to the school systems and why are there why is there so much inequity between different people in our land uh, and so you find out like what is the issue in your land are the issues because there are, are multiple issues there are many uh, you know like prison like, like we have a a big prison in my diocese, Angola, and uh, death, you know, death row is, is a real thing, right? Um, not cool. It's not cool. And again, when you look at uh, prison and you look at death row, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is like since 1973, over 165 people who were sentenced to death row have been found to be innocent. Right. Even if they were guilty in this country, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to, to, to use it because we have like really good prisons that can, can house people. Like they're never going to break out. They're never going to get out of Angola, right? But even still, like, Listen to these numbers. 165 people who are sentenced to death row have been found to be innocent. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. And so uh, we need to examine our area, ask Holy Spirit and different saints to like inspire us. Like, Saint, who you are, whoever that saint is, like, what did you do? with this particular injustice? Like there are so many saints who cared about these matters of justice and we can like look at their wisdom and use their intercession to inspire us to collaborate with other people in our community to, to really build an authentic civilization of love. So uh, we ought to care about Catholic social teaching because it's not just about like me and Jesus. A lot of people look at discipleship as just prayer and just right worship and just study of like really orthodox writings. And that's all true and good and beautiful. And we should do that. But it also involves, um, discipleship involves fellowship with the, with the poorest of the poor, fellowship with the widows, fellowship with the marginalized and disenfranchised and the people who are hurting because of injustices in the law of our land today. And so, yeah, we cannot have like this me and Jesus relationship and have this relationship with Jesus apart from the body of Christ. It's always both and with God. It's never either or. And so Catholic social teaching is that path to find um, healthy ways to navigate some of these tricky questions that we're presented with because of our, our society today. So highly encourage you get the program connected. It will be a phenomenal resource, I believe, to help you to discern better. Like how is our Lord inviting you to, to cultivate a civilization of, of love in your walk toward eternity? All right. I feel like that's a good show. That was a good show. Mm, I'm really going to enjoy this silence now. So I said a lot. And so mm, I'm going to be entering into silence really soon. So I can't wait to uh, let God say a lot more, <laughs> to listen to God. Let's go ahead and pray in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Thank you, God, so much for giving us so many saints who could be witnesses for us to inspire us to uh, not settle for mediocrity in our in our walk toward eternity. Thank you for the brothers and sisters that you have placed in our in our lives today, who you want us to reach out to, to lean into, so that we can collaborate with them and learn from them and work with them to transform our society, to transform our culture, to transform our laws, so that we can uh, begin to, to to see your your kingdom being established, so that we can begin to see people having conversions, so that we can begin to see lives being transformed by your grace and your your will and your way and your time in our walk toward heaven. We ask this prayer, Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, servant of God, Thea Bowman, pray for us. Saint Oscar Romero, pray for us. Amen. Also, really quick, cool glory, so I forgot to tell y'all. So my knee's been acting up lately, and I went to the doctor the other day to go get my knees checked. And one of my friends who has the charisma of prophecy, he randomly texted me. He was like, hey, I'm praying for you right now. What's going on with your body? Is there any pain in any part of your body like right now? And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Holy Spirit, you love me so much. He pays attention to every single detail. So shout out to the Holy Spirit for always reminding me that he is concerned about every little part. Everything matters. And again, that goes back to Catholic social teaching. Everything matters. The way we treat the environment matters. The way we treat animals matters. The way we treat people matters. The way we treat God matters. Everything is connected. And when we begin to ignore one aspect of God's creation, then everything will begin to crumble uh, because it's all connected. All right, y'all. God bless.